We've been practicing the presence of Jesus for the last several weeks of Advent, and uh, it would just kind of be a, a shame to, to stop doing that as we enter into Christmas, so it seems just logical to continue to practice the presence of Jesus, and, and really you can, you can cross out Advent and write Christmas, because we're in the Christmas season now, um, but it strikes me we, we can spend all that time in Advent and then how quickly we, we move through Christmas. Yeah. It's just like, boom, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then we're done. So I was kind of actually really glad to have this Sunday just to kind of drag it out a little bit. And that sounds kind of negative, so let me say extend the blessings <laughs> of Christmas a little bit. We, we were coming home last night from being over at... Uh, Mark and Becky's house, and we noticed that on our street, our house was the only one with the Christmas lights still on, and maybe there was another reason at work. Maybe they all got together or something, and they said, we're going to save energy on our block, but I don't know what happened, but all the other lights were out. Ours was the only one still on, and it just kind of got me thinking that this is, this is just typical of, of our culture, you know, and of our society, I mean, even of the church. We, we build up, boom, and then we're on to the next thing. And uh, the Christian calendar really is designed, that's been at work throughout history, thousands of years now, is designed to linger in this season for a little while. And so while uh, this week perhaps our family visitors will begin to depart to their homes and uh, while maybe our trees will start to come home and the decorations will begin to work their way back into the boxes and into the, the rafters, and the uh, society and even Coast Community pushes us on to the New Year's celebration, the next holiday, let's, let's do our best, and even for a few moments this morning, to, to, to hang on, and uh, even for a few more days. Now, in, admittedly, it's a little bit hard as we um, kind of look at this season from a biblical, biblical perspective, to stay at the manger scene for, for too long. But thankfully, there are other details to the early days of Jesus' life that, that emerge for us um, and deserve our attention. Some of these details uh, come to us in a portion of Scripture that as you'll discover as we read it, it marks a, like a U-turn, a dramatic turn of events um, away from, again, kind of that sentimental, kind of warm fuzzies of the stable in Bethlehem and the angels singing from the, uh, the sky. To set the scene a little bit, the, the, the last visitors to the child, the Christ child, have have finally left. Maybe like some of your, not, I'm not, you know, not referring to anyone here to my left, but, you know, um, eventually they, they will leave, and that's not a good thing necessarily, but they will leave, and, and uh, the, the final visitors had left. Now, they had left gold and frankincense and myrrh, so I'm wondering, what are you guys going to leave? Starbucks gold card, yes, I'm, 
moving my way towards that. Thank you for a few of you who contributed to my Starbucks uh, issue. I won't call it a problem, but thanks for, for that. Um, they had left. They had finally departed. They had left their, left their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And, and, uh, and you can imagine this, this new young family, father, mother, and baby child. After all the, the guests and all the ruckus and all the stuff that had been going on, thinking, finally, now we have a chance to kind of settle down and begin our new life together, right? You've heard those kinds of words. But there was not to be any settling down, as we discover as we look at the, uh, the words of, of Scripture this morning. Um, we find that it wasn't quite time to hang those curtains in the baby room. They were going to be on the move. So Matthew chapter 2, if you have your Bible... Look there with me. You don't, you can follow on the screen. Reach for a Bible. We got some new pew Bibles. Have you noticed? There's more there. So no reason, no reason for you not to go ahead and open up a Bible. Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Not quite in the middle, a little towards the, towards the second half. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 to 23. Would you stand up with me? This is a situation fraught with danger, potential doom, demonstrating that Jesus' welcome into the world was not with universally open, wide arms, but also at the same time reminding us that God's promises are true, that he's faithful. Let me read. Matthew 2, 13 to 23 to the end. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said throughout, through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, <clears throat> in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah. Weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. And so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. And all the Nazarenes said, Thanks be to God. <laughs> 
Sorry, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. <laughs> it's always that moment where we just kind of go, yeah. That's right. <laughs> sorry, sorry, just kidding, just kidding. So welcome to our world, Jesus. Welcome to our world. There it is. You want to talk about a rude awakening? This is what he gets. Welcome. Glad you're here. Be a refugee. Welcome. Glad you're here. Go on the run. We're trying to kill you. As if the journey to Bethlehem, the barnyard birthing center, the flow of steady visitors wasn't enough, now came word from the angel of the Lord that you better get moving. And you better get moving quick. We discover a turn in his career, right? <laughs> it just began. But, but all of a sudden, from from grandeur and glory, this majesty, this one who is to be king, suddenly turns to a life of humility and loneliness and vulnerability and helplessness. This was not quite how we saw things working out. Well, the world that Jesus is welcome to is demonstrated in this passage of Scripture in a few different ways. It's captured, really. It's described in a few different ways. and A little bit different, but I, I, I thought it just kind of summed it up a little bit to speak of this world. So I just want to hit on a, a couple of these ideas about this world that Jesus came into. First of all, it was a world that was hostile to his very presence. He came to a world, welcome to a world that's hostile to your presence. In King Herod, we have the representation of every challenge that would come to Jesus throughout his ministry. And yet we know that ultimately there would be no challenge to Jesus' authority. But here we have one in King Herod. And, and this is the guy who had been you know, warned by, or, or he had been asked by the Magi, the wise men, where is this king of the Jews? Which, of course, was of some concern to Herod. Because as far as he knew it, he was the king of the Jews. <laughs> and there was a new rival to the throne. There was a new threat to his authority and to his power. And from the time that he had heard about the threat of this baby, this, this king had not stopped scheming. He had not stopped planning for how he might bring about his destruction. Herod, if you read about that guy, he was a bad dude. He was a bad man. There's no way around it. The stories of some of the things that he did that aren't necessarily in Scripture, but just in history, are, are brutal. He was a bad man. And the truth of the matter is there's still a lot of bad people in the world in which we live. Still a lot of tyrants and despots and just, just bad, bad people. Um, the truth is that in this world there's still a lot of bad folks that are hostile to Jesus and to his ways and what he represents and who he is. There's, there's people in positions of power, both politically or economically or in academia, and their, their, their worlds are very much threatened by the claims of Christ and by what he brings and what he means in the world. And there are others that we know that aren't necessarily in positions of power, and yet we would look at them and say, those people are just threatened by Jesus. And you can see it. And, and the ways in which they're reacting because of that threat is pushing Jesus to the sidelines as much as possible. And we see this in our world, right, when people we know, and pushing Jesus into exile. 
as it were. Well, there are some bad folks in the world, but one person spoke of Herod this way that I read this week. I thought this was very convicting. He said, we go astray if we read ourselves into this story in ways that are too easy or too comforting. Kind of like me, when I first read this again this week, I was like, oh yeah, I would have been with Jesus on my way to Egypt. I would have been carrying their bags, you know. If I were in this story, I'd be on my way with him to where he was going. Well, this guy says, if we don't find something of ourselves in the person of Herod the Great, we're cutting ourselves far too much slack. In other words, there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. In other words, every time we refuse to submit ourselves and our plans and our purposes and our kingdom to the plans and purposes of the true king, we show our Herodian tendencies. <laughs> Anytime we, we, we feel like the ways of God are impinging upon our ways, and we would just as soon not have them do so, and rather go our own way. Anytime we are threatened by Jesus' claims upon our lives and called in new directions and refuse, we show those Herodian tendencies. You know, I'm coaching my son's team. I've already told you this. It's a basketball team, and I've coached several youth sports teams now. Um, and and I, there's, there's a few things that just crack me up, and one of them is when a kid just doesn't do what I tell him to do, you know? And sometimes, we're dealing with six and seven-year-olds here, and so sometimes I'll, as coach, tell them something to do. Do this, you know, right here. Do it. And, and I can look at that six-year-old or seven-year-old, and I can tell that he has no idea what I'm talking about. It's like I'm speaking another language, and he just looks... And then he goes out and he does exactly the opposite of what I told him to do. And, you know, what can you do? Pat him on the back. Good job. Nice try. We'll get him next time. But recently, a couple weeks ago at a practice, there was a little kid on our team who will remain nameless. Um, wasn't my son, but <laughs> another kid on our team who I looked at him and I told him what to do in that moment. It was simply, I think, to pass the ball to this person. And, and he, he looked back at me, and we connected. We connected. There was like, I know what you're telling me to do, coach. But the connection stopped right there. Because <laughs> he looked at me, and he refused to do what I told him to do. In fact, he kept doing the opposite of what I told him to do, and he kept looking at me the whole time. <laughs> oh man, it was awesome. It was awesome. Because I, I was able in the moment to step back and think, what is going on here? This is hilarious. Look at this guy. He's it's just utter, complete rebellion. <laughs> I mean, I know exactly what you want me to do, and I am not going to do it. In fact, I'm going to do this instead. This is, this is what we do with the claims of Christ sometimes. 
and this is where Herod pops up. He's a bad man, and we're, you know, we have some tendencies. And it really shows up when, again, you know, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Do we really mean it? Sometimes we pray, thy kingdom come and my will be done. And this is maybe where Herod shows up a little bit in our lives. Well, Jesus, welcome to our world. This is the world in which Jesus came into. The world is hostile to his presence. Not only the, the bad, bad people, but sometimes his own church folk. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for people like us. Thank you, Jesus. Um, he came also to a world that's filled with suffering and pain. This... Uh, this story gives an account of one of the most brutal um, stories we could ever read about, <clears throat> much less even hear about, even according to today's news standards, I mean, which are wretched and brutal, right? I mean, the story one of the, that we have read here um, in this portion of Scripture is, is brutal. Herod, you remember the little portion? Herod's feeling his power slipping away outwitted, duped by the magi, he feels. Now, responding out of anger, pride, ego, again, fear, he, he commands that all of the baby boys, two years and younger, are, are executed in, in that city. It, it's, a, it's a brutal, awful, horrific story. And I think many people, when they would read this passage, they read 13 to 15 and then jump to 19. We don't even want to read 16, 17, and 18. I don't like to read it. it it's a... The, the other thing about it is, though, if we've heard it a lot, and maybe some of us have read this story, you know, we've been reading this for years, and we just, this is me, to be honest. I read this first time, and I'm like, okay, yeah, the baby's killed in Bethlehem, and okay, it's all kind of part of this big divine kind of plan. Or, you know, we just at least figure that, well, okay, it was there, but we just kind of keep moving on. But sure, again, I just stopped right there. I was like, we've got to stop there. You've got to notice what's going on here. We fail to be caught in our tracks by the extent of the human suffering and pain that is represented, even in those short verses. And while it's horrible to hear of, the truth is we need to notice because this incident vividly and horribly captures for us, again, the kind of world into which Jesus came and the kind of world into which Jesus comes. The reality is that the birth of Jesus did not put an end to human suffering and pain. I mean, it's like exhibit A, right after his birth, we see it in its most vivid and dark form. It didn't put a stop to it. In fact, scholars note how how Jesus was born into this context of human suffering and pain, and, and his earthly existence would end in the same way, in his own suffering and pain. 
But um, one, another guy I read this week put an interesting spin on it. He, he said this. He said, well, he wondered, what it would it be like in, in churches where this passage is read if instead of celebrating only with Mary and Joseph and Jesus snug and safe in Egypt, we perhaps had a moment of silence for all the other boys. Isn't that interesting? A moment of silence. And, and a time of remembrance, really, for all of those who held the lifeless form those baby boys. Brings it home a little bit, doesn't it? His thought was that in so doing, we might make some space for the losses and the setbacks that so many of us have faced, even this year and years past, that are so real and so vivid and so extra heavy sometimes at Christmas. So I... It may feel a little funny, but I want to do just that. <laughs> Reality is that we've, we've all faced some pain and suffering at some level, some of us more than others. This, maybe this last year has been a, a rough one for you. Maybe there's one incident. Maybe it's just been a pile up of it. But I'd love just to take a moment to have some silence and to acknowledge the pain and suffering of those boys and to acknowledge the pain and suffering that we've endured this year as well. Thank you, Jesus, that you come into a world filled with pain and suffering. This is the world into which Jesus comes. Last one is this, that um, amidst all the hostility and the pain and the suffering, there's still a word of hope. <laughs> Let me give you a word of hope. Jesus comes into a world where God still guides. God still guides. Three times in this passage, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph. He says, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> Not in this. Eh. You don't want to do that. You want to do this. Three times beautifully, Joseph says, okay, do that. God demonstrates, this passage demonstrates for us a God who, who, who is very much involved and guiding and directing and setting the paths and the, and, the, and the directions for our lives, just as he did for this holy family. He's guiding, he's providing, he's giving security and confidence and discernment, and we to have experienced the guiding hand of God in our lives. It's great. This week at the snow retreat, Jake had several of us just kind of share about ways that we have 
sensed the Lord leading us or the Lord speaking to us over our lives. And, you know, it's one of those kinds of things that <clears throat> maybe you don't think about as often as you should. And so somebody asks you to share about that and you start thinking, wow, thank you, God, for indeed speaking to me. Thank you that you have not been silent. You have spoken. You have led. You have guided. You have given discernment and direction at various stages of our lives. And we believe that God wants to, that we live in a world, and Jesus came into a world where God still wants to guide us. I hope that he has guided you well in this last year. And I believe that he will do so for you in the year to come. And, and even, again, in a few moments, there might be some of you that want to speak to that truth about how God has guided you. But Jesus comes into a world in which God guides at, at just a little bit of a deeper level here as well that, that I just want to point to for just a, a brief moment. It's this idea that, um, that God was not only and is not only guiding our individual lives and kind of the incidents of our lives and the, the occurrences, but that God is guiding his story. He's guiding history, <laughs> right? Biblical people, fans of the Old Testament, um, people who've read about the Exodus and things like that, can't help but recognize some elements of the Old Testament story being picked up in this story. Did you, did you hear some of them? Here's... here's Joseph leading Jesus to Egypt for safety, just like, just like another Joseph in the Old Testament welcomed Israel to Egypt for safety from famine and from death. Remember? Here's Herod killing babies, just like Pharaoh killed babies, the Hebrew babies in, in Egypt. Here is, here is uh, 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 an escape, uh, uh, a deliverance. Here is, here is a, a baby being, being saved, just like Moses was, right? Moses in, in the river. A, del a deliverer saved so that he could deliver his people. And, and in many ways, here's Jesus being saved so that he could come back, return to Galilee, and, and be a light to the nations. What seems to be happening here is that Matthew is helping us to understand that where, where Israel, called to be God's people, fell short, Jesus has come to, to do the work. And that in this whole scene, we're, we're reminded of what was and what is and what will be. And we get this overarching, beautiful picture that God is still guiding. And he's not only guiding the daily steps of your life, but he's guiding salvation history. He's, he's accomplishing his purposes. He will not be denied. He is, he is patient. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to salvation. He's working. He's moving. He's, 
he's bringing about, he's offering, he's providing in such a way that all those who would put their faith in him might be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to a world where God still dies. So, Jesus, though it wasn't all it could have been or cracked up to be, thank you for coming to our world. We're so thankful that you did. Thank you, Jesus. Hear our hearts in these moments. Hear our voices. We're the world that you came to. To our own hostilities and those of others. To the pain and suffering. To a place where your father is still in charge. You came and you come. We praise you today. The long-awaited Holy Stranger, make yourself at home. Please make yourself at home.